This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Tour. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series. Our typically twice weekly show on a Tuesday and a Friday. But during the international break, as discussed on a couple of shows this week, it's an excuse to get a bit selfish, to be honest, because we're bored, because international football is, well, rubbish. Um, and so it's a little bit of an opportunity to get a little bit selfish and to go down more of a personal route and the things that we content creators like to enjoy about in our own lives. And one of the things that I know a lot of you listeners are aware of is the fact that my kind of passion for drum and bass does bleed into the show a lot. And with the rebranding that's coming on the channel, there's going to be a lot more of it. And one of the ways in which we're going to try and do that today is with a fantastic piece of interview content for you. So let me just introduce my guest. I'm joined today by Ed, aka Friction. How do you, mate? Are you well? I am very good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Very, very good. I, I can't promise you that the, all of the listeners are going to be that well versed in the world of drum and bass because they're uneducated, partly. Um, but the second part, of course, is it's fantastic to have you on. I'm sure, hopefully, a lot of more people that watch the show have gradually got into talking about drum and bass a lot more through my own passion for it. Um, but I really appreciate you taking the time out of your afternoon, fella. All good. I'm I'm glad to be here, mate. And it was quite interesting listening because I was going to mention, obviously, we're in the international break. And I was like, do I say how much I hate the international break? And you kind of really said it for me. So it's like, I hate the international break. I literally dread it. When You know, when you look at the fixtures, right? And I look at like the Arsenal fixtures and I'm like, oh, we've got two weeks off there. Oh, it's going to be the international break that weekend, isn't it? And it's literally, yeah. it fills me with dread because I... I don't know. Obviously, I support Arsenal a lot more than I do England. Yeah, just honestly, the, the sense of dread leading up to it, and you just know there's no Arsenal. But to be fair, this season's not gone amazing. So some some people have said it's a bit of a reprieve, um, which I think it was maybe earlier on in the season. But as things start to pick up, yeah, you just kind of want Arsenal to come back, basically. Um, we will get on to talking a lot about Arsenal. But to kick things off, I wanted to talk a bit about yourself. Um and just kind of talking to how you got to where you are and, and, and where you are at with, with Elevate and, and yourself and with going on with, with Radio 1 involved in your career. So 
tell me the story about how we get to where you are today. Uh, I think it's just a, you know, a lot of hard work, really. Um, I, I was into drum and bass from from school. Well, it was it was more jungle music then, mm. um, and I was a massive fan. And I used to sort of all my mates would be sort of like just sneaking into pubs. I'd be sneaking up to London and trying to get in somehow to like there was a club called the Laser Drone a few other London sort of like clubs that had jungle music or what was to be drum and bass. And I just fell in love with it. And I'd go up to London and, and just watch the DJs and basically think this is me. This is what I want to do. And, you know, kind of that was, that was going to be my life. So yeah, basically uh, did that, worked hard, kept sending tapes and demos to promoters and trying to get myself into clubs or whatever. And, you know, develop my career as time's gone on and I'm lucky enough to travel the world and mm. do what I love, which is like, you know, I think if whatever you do in life, if, if you can earn money by doing what you love, I think that's something that you got to be thankful for every day, which I am. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely wake up and well, I wake up thinking about drum and bass and I go to bed thinking about it. So it's like, it's, it never leaves my mind. That and Arsenal, basically. Yeah, of course, which can be equally as painful at times, for sure. Definitely, um, definitely. It's, it's interesting you talk about kind of like sending tapes continuously, coming from my own kind of background of, of now writing about football full-time and being a teacher previously. That was pretty much my route into writing about football, was just constantly sending emails to all of these companies saying, like, look, here's what I can do, here's my stuff, give me a shot, which has now happened uh, this year but f like for yourself you got into the uh into radio one and doing their drone base show very late in the evening um how did that kind of come about getting into radio one and 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 what ultimately led you to to finish that time with the bbc yeah it had been i mean i i was actually getting on a plane to japan um and my manager phoned me this is probably eight years ago or something and he said oh radio one on the phone they they want you to take over the drum and bass show and previously it was it had been done well fabio and groove rider two absolute legends um mm. who are have influenced many of us and um so it's a big job for me to take over and uh i took it on and as time went on i really got more into my production as well because i'd originally started off as just a dj yeah i've never been too hot my own production you know i made a few things but it's it's only been the last few years when I'd, I've really got into and really developed my production. So as Radio One went on, so did my production. And I was trying to write my debut album and I just didn't have time DJing, you know, running a record label family and trying to sort of like make tunes and do the radio. It was just too, I literally didn't sleep. You know, if I got four hours yeah. a night, I'd be happy sort of thing. So it got to the point where I had to let something go. And it was, it was the show, which I sort of begrudgingly, you know, like let it go and said that I wasn't going to be able to do it anymore. And But I would, the, the sort of five or six years I did it, what an experience to, you know, to, to be in there and to be presenting the music that I love to the world and be responsible for the world hearing yeah. drum and bass music and what's new. That was, it was a great experience. But I'm very happy now just making my music, doing shows, or not so many shows over the last year. But um, yeah. that's, that's what I love. And I've got my record labels and still got a lot on. I still don't sleep that much but you know it's a little bit more you know i could just about keep Control. up with it so, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, I hear it's like, and that, that process, of course, where you're delivering to all of the drone based listeners, like the, what's new, the, the stuff that's coming out, stuff that has come out, educating people as to what new music is. Does that, in a way, did that give you inspiration to maybe change your sound slightly or go off in different directions? This, constantly listening to these new songs, and I know people do it anyway, but of course, but actually having to kind of present them to, to the world in a way, does that help you with your production of your stuff? Yeah, definitely. I think I think something that drum and bass does so well and that, you know, what helps so many people to be into it is it takes influence from so many other types of music. So you've got, you know, ambient drum and bass, you've got the jungle orientated stuff, you've got the sort of heavy kind of like, you know, electro based stuff. You've got so many influences mm. of types of music, you know, Originally, the old jungle stuff was influenced from a lot of rare groove, you know, like there's so much there. There's so many different ways for people to get into it. And it's the same with me. I like so many different types of music. I was brought up sitting in the back of my car when my dad was going to work and, you know, like listening to old soul music and jazz. And, you know, so I come from there. I used to like indie music and grunge, you know, like I yeah. love hip hop. Like I genuinely love all types of music. So drum and bass is the sort of genre for me because it takes a lot of those genres yeah. and puts them into it. So I think that's why it's, that's why I love it so much. And that's why I'm very sort of, you know, I like to vary what I listen to and what I make as well and what I play, you know, I try and try and play different types of stuff. So, um, yeah, I think definitely being part of that that show and listening to all these different types of drum and bass helps influence yeah. what I make. So yeah, for sure. I think people underestimate maybe sometimes how kind of broad drum and bass can be and, and kind of where the different parts it's, it takes its kind of inspiration from for so many different, I mean, myself, like I remember being in the car when I was a kid listening to Madness because my dad was such a Madness fan and then gradually growing up and I only really got into drum and bass say about five, six years ago, really. And becoming that stage, going for university and, and going to a few places in Nottingham and, and in London as well. So it's it's crazy how people's kind of stories intertwine and go into different areas of drum and bass and how they get there. But to, to obviously hear that the radio one side of things and listening to so many so much new music influences that in that sense. But then you start your own production company and and that sort of things with Elevate. I mean, how did the Elevate thing start? Well, um, Shogun. I started Shogun um in about i think 2004 uh something yeah. like that and a few years later my business partner kid came on board with it um and the label had been a sort of you know a, a real foundation of the scene i think it's fair to say for so yeah, long um but the style of shogun we we didn't intend to take it this way but it, it was it's a very liquid sort of style of drum and bass you know like there's a, a certain mm. style and I was getting booked more and more to do big festivals and a lot of the music that I was playing was, was slightly different to what I was playing when I started Shogun, you know, it was a bit more big room, a bit more sort of like festival based music. Yeah. So I needed to start a label that reflected that and, you know, that I could release my music on that I made because my music wasn't really suiting Shogun and, you know, the, the music that I was playing wasn't always on that tip. So yeah, basically Elevate started, I think, Elevate actually, the idea was about seven years ago. Oh, really? Um, wow. Yeah, and then so basically now I have Shogun for, you know, the more sort of deeper sort of rolling sort of drum and bass style, and then I've got the more high energy stuff on Elevate. So, yeah, it's, uh, 
now got two labels that cover or try and cover as much of the sort of full spectrum of drum and bass as you can. Yeah, I mean, that's great in itself for you because we talked about earlier about the control that I suppose you've got on your life a lot more now and, and having two labels enabling you to do that. Um, I mean, I was at the uh, the uh, underground show you did um, in Village Underground earlier on. I think it was in 2019, towards the end of that year. Oh, yeah, it was February 2020 because it was one of the it's last early. shows before lockdown. Yes, yes, because I remember uh, a friend, me and my friend, Troy, we go to all of these shows together. And, yeah, it was that, and we went to Wilkinson's at Brixton Academy. Just literally, it was those two shows, and then everything just Stopped, shut down. yeah. That moment when it shut down, for obviously someone in, in, in the arts industry, who I remember the famous line being told by the government where people like yourself are being told to retrain to, to get a new job and to do something else. I mean, but before you even get to that stage, when the pandemic kind of hit, what, what's going through your mind at this moment about how you've got to deal with the next whatever comes next with so much uncertainty? It's, and I think it's important to mention a lot of my sort of fellow artists and, and people of the scene and not just music artists it, it's really affected you know I've got friends that fit festival stages who have had no work for a year you know it's not just the producers the DJs it's the people behind the scenes that yeah. help make this experience and help you know they're a massive part of being able to put on a festival or a club show or whatever and you know it's affected so many people in so many ways I'm lucky because you know, I've sat in my studio, you know, and I've I've made music and I've written half an album over the time of lockdown. You know, I've I've continued to work. I mean, I've I've done a few remixes for people and I've been lucky on on that front. And I got to tour New Zealand over Christmas yeah. and New Year. Um I did the two weeks quarantine, which my agent was like, Are you gonna be out with two weeks quarantine? I was like, mate, I'll do anything. If it means I can do a show yeah. in New Zealand. That's just in a hotel room, isn't it? You're just a hotel room for two weeks. Oh. Yeah. And it, I, I got lucky actually with the hotel room. You know, I had a decent place to sort of be for two weeks. But um incidentally, I remember that was actually a time where so the football, if you're watching football when you're in New Zealand, yeah, and it's a five o'clock, six o'clock kickoff. It's six o'clock in the morning that you've got to watch the game. So yeah. it was actually the locked. I was in quarantine. I was like, right, I watch football, some cricket on, you know, I do some work, and you know, I did fitness in my room. You know, I just kind of had a bit of a regime for two weeks. But the worst thing about it was I was setting my alarm for like five, six o'clock in the morning, and it was when we as in the arsenal were having yeah. our worst period and it clicked obviously on boxing day right when we beat chelsea yeah of course but the two weeks before that was dire so i was setting my alarm at five o'clock in the morning like to watch you know there was a lot of games on around that time we had a game on every sort of three days yeah and um i set my alarm at five o'clock and i was literally it was like groundhog day i'd wait up our arsenal got beat you know I'd wake up in the morning arsenal got beat and then it would be seven o'clock in the morning and I'd be like, well, I'm up now. Well, I don't know. I've got literally sit in this room all day. I've still been beaten. I've got to analyse that, how bad we were. Yeah. So that wasn't the best way of spending it. But yeah, going back to the actual story, yeah, managed to get to New Zealand and came out of quarantine and managed to tour New Zealand for two two weeks. I think we did, we you know, did the record ever club show in New Zealand. We had 7,000 people for a show with myself, Dimension and Subfocus and... We did this amazing tour, but then I came back home and it was like lot full, full lockdown had been sort of yeah. like, so I'd gone from this one extreme where you can go out and have a pint, you can turn up, go to work, play at festivals to thousands of people. 
And then I literally got off the plane and it was like straight in a, a car back home and like you can't leave home now. And it was literally one extreme to the other. And uh, that was almost like people were like, oh, you're so lucky you got to go and tour New Zealand. But I was like, yeah, but I kind of wish I hadn't now because I've gone from one extreme <laughs> to the other. So, yeah, I'm looking forward now after a year to, you know, shows are in the diary and, and fingers yeah. crossed that we can, you know, get back to normal from end of June, hopefully in July and things can start happening. And people need to go out. People need to go to festivals. People need to go to clubs. You know, everyone works hard in this life, in this society. And it's so important to be able to have that time to be able to go out, let your hair down, listen to some music and have a good night. So yeah. getting that back in and and watching sport, you know, it's, it's bizarre. I'm bored now. I can't listen to the fake crowd noise, really. It annoys me. <laughs> Like you could turn it off, like you just turn it yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I did that, and you do that, but then it's like feels like you're watching a local match, but actually yeah. you're the Premier League. Like when you turn off the sound, so I don't actually know what I prefer—the fake noise or no noise at all. I just can't wait to be able to be in a, a position again when I can go and meet my mates, travel up to London, you know, go and just have a pint before the game and, and go and watch Arsenal again. It would just, I just cannot wait for that to happen. Uh, final question before we go on to kind of the more Arsenal side of things. Uh, and it's from one of our members in the chat box. It's a very simple question, or maybe there's multi levels to it. Uh, but Daniel Roberts says, why choose the name friction? It's funny, really. I've, I've never been that good with names. Like I'm still really bad. Like if I make a tune and I'm not sure what to call it. I will literally mess about for ages. I'm just so bad with names. And literally, I think that was when I was about 18. And um, I was just with, with some friends and I was like, I've got a set. I had a set, you know, my first sort of DJ gig or whatever. And it was like, right, I need to, I need a name. And it was just a bunch of lads in a room throwing out names and just like, what do you call yourself friction? It's like, okay, then let's go with that. No, there wasn't <laughs> friction. So there was no yeah. sort of, uh, there was no sort of like hidden deep story to it really. It was just, um, yeah, just people throwing a few names around. That was that, that one sounded all right. So I just went with that. Yeah, nice. Fair enough. Um, so let's talk about Arsenal then. Um, we'll get to kind of the more recent stuff and, and the pain that we've experienced this season. But obviously, London, very much around your life. Is that kind of where Arsenal came from? Or is there a family connection? How did it work? No, I, I was, I actually was, um, I was born in like Surrey, um, sort of South London, sort of Surrey sort of way. And yeah. I was taken to a mate of my dad's who was a big Arsenal fan my old man wasn't into football at all um and he was like oh, you know Ronald's going to take you to a game so he this was when Arsenal were at Highbury and I think I was super young and he took me to to a game and it was I think it, it was Arsenal Chelsea and I think we won 3-1 I'm pretty sure it was the days of Alan Smith um Alan Smith, Perry Groves type era, Paul yeah. Davis. And um, it was just before, it was a couple of years before we beat Liverpool 2-0 and we won in the last minute okay. with the Michael Thomas goal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he took me to my first game and I was sold, basically. And um, I was a gooner ever since that moment. And uh, yeah, because I moved down to Brighton when I was like 20. So I've always just obviously carried on just jump on the train the Brighton to London trains quite easy or a lot of the time I'm working in London so yeah I can catch a game and um yeah I've just been obsessed ever since like one of my 
most horrible moments of my life is when my eldest son decided when he was about 11 to support Chelsea for a season. God. Yeah. For a season? Why just a season? Because I think he couldn't take the crap from me anymore hearing me right. literally just being like, how oh, can you do this to father? You know, like the literally. The friction I'm, between you and him just... There, there we go. No, it was... Uh, he, he, he went, when Chelsea first got money and they suddenly yeah. became half decent, you know, when they were sort of... Uh, when he was a glory got, hunter, is what you're saying. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was 100% glory hunter. Yeah. And I just, I battered him about it sort of like, you know, like verbally for a year, just like, how can you do that? Arsenal's just and eventually got him back, but I think that's uh, that was uh, yeah, that was a horrible, horrible year. Oh, dear me, I can't imagine. Yeah, I mean, when one day, and it probably will, when I end up having kids, my missus is a Charlton fan, so and obviously right. her her dad is already telling me that he's hell bent on making sure my kid ends up being a Charlton fan. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I can't imagine Chelsea side of things. Is I think that was a period of my childhood where I genuinely disliked Chelsea a little bit more than our other North London rivals just because they were doing so well and, and Spurs weren't. Yeah, but sometimes yeah. I get that feeling. I've got some Chelsea mates that are particularly annoying as well. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, they don't like it when you sort of tell them the home truths about, you know, that their club's only sort of 15 years old, really. A toddler, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Obviously, Arsenal now is is very different to when you talking about when you first became an Arsenal fan, Lynn, that's 89, and then going through the, the 90s where we were successful under George Graham and then the Invincibles in the early 2000s. It's it's very, very different now. Um, how was how kind of your... Has, I suppose, being in the music industry and working weekends a lot, and I'm assuming, I don't know how many games you've missed through doing that, but has that helped in any way with a distraction through Arsenal's kind of poorer period or have you suffered as much along the way? It, it's a tough one because when I first started supporting Arsenal, it was when we were just on the rise as far as into that first era, the George Graham era, which yeah. was... It wasn't a particularly exciting brand of football, but we were exactly. we were dominant. Do you know what I mean? And we were such a good team. And then, obviously, then the Arsene Wenger era was like almost. It was almost a ne- another level having an invincible team. You know, it's like one of those things when it comes to when you're bantering with your mates, they can take the piss out of Arsenal as much as they want, but they didn't have an invincible team. They didn't win the league with you know without losing yeah. a game, and they can say, "Oh, you had twelve draws." doesn't matter we did not lose you know we did not lose uh and you know that is a pretty and that that level with Thierry and you know Dennis Bergkamp and Perez Vieira these were even Martin Keown you know he annoys me now on punditry I've got to be honest I can't I can't listen to him on (laughs) nothing but what you know like we had they were tough the football was unreal they took the football to the next level and I think that the highs that I've had with Arsenal make it harder to accept what we've gone through over the past couple of seasons because sometimes it's like we've had full starts over the last few years where I think oh no it's all right now they you know things are sort of starting to get but actually I think that you can't you know a lot of people blame Arsene Wenger some people blame um, Emery but yeah, there are a lot of players in there that need to go. That are, and I think that mm. Arteta's job is so big. People really, really, I think it's underestimated how big his job is and how tough it is 
and the fact that he's come in trying to start a job in a pandemic you know he got coronavirus as well there's so many players you know let's be honest he probably there's probably half of that squad that he wants to get rid of yeah quite right um, <laughs> you know like there's so many, and he's in the middle of doing it and i do think it's it's tough but it is tough to take as a fan because you're like we're so much better than this this club should be better and I do think we've got some amazing players, but I still think there's like some real problems in the squad that need to be addressed. And I think that the team's almost like lopsided. And, you know, it's great. You look at places, it's great that we've got Aubameyang, great that we've got Lacazette. But that to me is almost a problem in itself because I think that that has caused a problem where, you know, he's playing Aubameyang on the left wing, on the right wing sometimes. And, you know, Aubameyang's form recently hasn't been good, but, you know, really and truly, him or Lacazette, in my opinion, should just play in the middle. I know Orba scores goals from the left, yeah. but like he should play. In the, we've got great players. Pepe's just starting to really find his feet, in my opinion. I think he's. I've seen a difference in him. Saka is obviously an unreal talent. You've got Martinelli waiting to come through. Willian, I won't go into because I don't want to plan. But yeah. we've kind of like the the players are there, and there's some, you know. To get Thomas Partey was amazing. You know, I, I feel bad that he came to us in a way. You know, like <laughs> he'd probably be winning the League of Atletico Madrid this season. So he obviously really wanted to come to the club. But there's some real positives there. I just think that it's going to, you know, I think it's going to take a while. I can't see us being a top top four title challenging team for another couple of years, if I'm honest. Do you think, I mean, a lot of people are kind of in that sense of saying that you can't see us getting to that stage where we're competing for top four. Is there a part of you that thinks that is down to, does the blame fall at the club for that? Is that down to Mikel Arteta himself? Do you think another manager would be doing a better job than Mikel Arteta is doing? Or is it just he basically being a victim of the situation that he's had untold to him? I think um, I think Arteta's got the potential to be a world-class manager. I think if you look at some of the some of the things that he does, some you know, hear how the players talk about him. If you listen to how other coaches talk about him, they're hugely yeah. impressed. I do. My only fear, I think, the original plan would have been Emery was going to come in, and he would have been there longer than he was. He actually was, and eventually Arteta yeah. would have come in after after having a job somewhere else. I don't think the plan was. I think the plan was to get Arteta, but I don't think we were meant to be his first head coach role. Mm. But here we are. And I think that he will get there. I just think that he has come into quite a lot. There's been a lot for him to do, um, more so than what he'd have wanted. You know, there's a, a lot of players, a lot of players that sort of need to go. And um, yeah, I think it's a difficult job. I just think it's ideally it wouldn't have been, this wouldn't, we wouldn't have been his first job. But he does some amazing stuff. I think it's amazing tactical decisions. I mean, how we won the FA Cup, yeah, that's unbelievable, really, because actually he did the whole three at the back thing. And we just basically our football, we, we didn't even really have the ball much. We were just basically countering and, you know, hopefully put a good move together and counter. And that was our chance of scoring a goal. You know, we didn't we weren't in that way where we can play, but I can see us starting to play. I do think that he makes the odd decision that I'm like, you've got that one badly wrong, actually. And I think, actually, the West Ham game the other week was a really, really great sort of, you know, that shows... A metaphor for it, yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't get the the, the team play. I don't... 
Orba and I think Orba's like he's an amazing striker, right? He's obviously over the past ten years he's been in the top. He's got to be top five, top oh, seven easy, strikers yeah. in the world. Yeah, but the way it is now is when he's on the pitch, if he doesn't score, he doesn't really contribute. And I think that one of the other guys, whether it's Saka, Pepe, Martinelli, or even Smith Rowe playing out on the left, will link our football together better and help us create chances. And then I think when Orba's out there, we don't really create chances as much. There's the overlaps. If you look at the overlaps that go on with Tierney and Smith Rowe, it's absolute class. Like, Mm the movement and everything. And I just think there's a bit of a square peg in a round hole situation there. And he that's the main thing for me. I think he's either got to sell Lacazette or Orba this summer. I think you've got to sell one of them and we can invest that into the squad in a different way because trying to force them to play together, I don't think... I know they're really good mates, but I don't think they particularly yeah. work in the team together that well. It's an interesting point because we were having a, a, a our show yesterday was all around should we sell Lacazette and, and talking to the listeners about if we should or not and then if you do sell him do you replace him or do you allow someone like uh, a Martinelli to become the more central figure in the team which a lot of people kind of see him as a, a more central player for his future rather than out in the wide areas and there were rumors yesterday that supposedly we might give Lacazette a new contract and considering the fact that We've already given Abamyang a new deal, and now to give Lacazette a new deal after that, and he turns 30 in May, I believe. So, it, do you think that there's necessarily it's a case of, as you said there, we have to sell one or the other, and that's the right way to go about it? Or is there a case of saying, well, if you give Lacazette maybe a two year extension, then you cover that situation and it doesn't really block Martinelli because you're not going out and then signing like a 23 to 25 year old? that would then block the path necessarily for Martinelli. So is, do you think it's as cut and dry as simple as saying sell one or the other, or is there more facets to it? I, Yeah, I think, you know, Martinelli is coming through at a very quick rate. You know, Saka is is a mad talent. You know, I mean, he's, he's crazy. Um, I think Pepe is, there's so much potential for Pepe. I mean, I just, I just watch him sometimes. Obviously, it's massively frustrating when he, you know, gives the ball away from three feet. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, I can't really. But I do think that he is understanding the Premier League, and I think he's understanding the work rate that's required for the Premier League. Yeah, and um, I really, I think we're still going to see some big things from Pepe. I think so. I think he needs to play, and he needs to play on one of the flanks, and. Yeah, I just think we've got Balogun, you know, I think Balogun is a, a lot, lot stronger player than Nketiah. Um, I think there's the way he plays from what I've seen, you know, the, the hold up play and everything. I think you've got to bring him through, keeping and bring him through. So, yeah, the short answer is I think you do have to sell one. And I actually think that the club would get more money for Lacazette because he's that little bit younger, um, mm. you know, was it one or two years. But I just, I don't think it makes sense to keep both players and, you know, there's not going to be much money there and we need Hector. It looks like he's not, I don't want to say it like I... Would you sell him? Because a lot of people would sell him. I I would sell a Hector. I think he probably, I don't know, you get the impression he he might be up for a new challenge somewhere. doesn't look like he's got quite the same pace and it doesn't look like he's quite as strong as he was before the injury either. so, yeah, there's basically the squad still needs quite a bit of sorting out. You know, we, we can't, I mean, Tierney literally can't play like that every single match for yeah. a whole season. We need a backup left back. I, 
you know, do you keep Kalasinac as that backup left back? He's to me, he always looks better playing as a left wing back. Yeah. So we, you know, Cedric uh, Cedric comes in and does well, but I don't think that he is a f- the first team right back for Arsenal to be a top four club. You know, I think he's yeah. I think he's been solid, but yeah. So ultimately, there's there's so many questions with the squad. What's going to happen with Saliba? No one knows. I mean. Obviously, that video came out recently. That wasn't a great look. Oh, yeah, not great. I mean, what, um, did you, what did you make of kind of how he was dealt with, I suppose, at the start of the season? Because he, he cut, we spent 27 million quid on this this 18-year-old kid is rated to be, as as people like to do in the media, call him the next Varane and stuff like that. Yeah. We send him back on loan because that's the only way we can get the deal done. He comes back and then he sits in the under-23s for six months he, we could have sent him out on loan. There were talks with other clubs that we could have sent him out on loan. Do you think that falls on like Arteta? Or is it Saliba's behaviour that may be set, sent in that way? Or is it on the club for, for messing that situation up? I really don't know. I like, it's difficult. You know, as fans, like, we can give our opinion and we can sit in the pub and we can say, oh, he's rubbish. He's go. Oh, he's great. He should be there. And we can sort of like say how yeah. we'd do it if we were managers. We don't know what goes on. We can hear it, you know, you might see on Twitter, oh, someone said this, but we actually, we don't know everything that goes on behind closed doors. So it's hard to, it's hard to say, you know, he, I think he's obviously got a lot of talent and potential. I've seen videos of him playing in France, you know, like, but for some reason, Arteta doesn't think he's ready to be a first team squad centre-back yet. Yeah. So, but I do think, yeah, I would say Arteta hasn't quite got that right because that has been messy. And, you know, like a lot of people have been talking about it, that he should be this, he should be that, he should be playing. I don't, with the people that are like, yeah, he should be starting now. It's like, I don't think anyone can really say that. I don't think we've got Mm. the, we don't have the information to know that he should be in the first team squad. But yeah, he's sort of, he's come, he stayed in the under 23s and now he's gone back out on loan again. It is a bit messy. So that could do with being a bit tidier. I think, but um, yeah, we'll see. The other player in his position is David Luiz, um, who is a polarising character. Um, but arguably, from my perspective, I think other than the mistake against Wolves, uh, and that was a horrible, horrible game, because if we'd have won that, we'd have been in sixth, and maybe the Aston Villa result after that doesn't happen. But besides that mistake, Luiz since Christmas, and as a lot of the team has been, I, th- I think has been brilliant. I think he's been one of our better players. But now we've got the conundrum of him his contract's expiring. He's 32, 33 years old now. Do you think it's time for Arsenal to say goodbye to him? Or is, do you think maybe another year, considering Saliba's difficulties, maybe the right move for the Gunners? I think, um, I, I I agree with you. I think that actually his performances have been good. He's the type of guy that when he makes a mistake, you really know he's made a mistake. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I think, you know, Man City as well, that was pretty bad. But also, that's part of the problem with Arsenal. And I, this is this is where my mates say to me, you sound like such an Arsenal fan. <laughs> we have had the worst decisions go against us this year. Like, yeah. I have never, ever in my life seen anything like it. I can't believe some of the refereeing decisions that have gone against us. It's, it's crazy. I mean, even to be fair to David Luiz, that Wolves game, Forget whether it's a red card or whatever. The whistle should have blown for half time about 30 seconds earlier. <laughs> like, you know, no one ever noticed that, that it was like, I, I can watch it. Like, it was like, just everything's gone against us. I remember Gabriel getting sent off earlier on this season, Southampton. flicking the ball away, right? 
Yeah. I see that about five times a game in every Premier League game I watch. Nothing People happens. do that. It constantly happens. Yeah. I just think so. I mean, there's so many decisions that have gone against us. So I think that actually, team-wise, we we could we should be higher up the league, and with a bit of luck, we would have been. And we're still ten games or nine games to go. Is it yeah. nine or ten? I'm yeah, not sure. Nine. But like, I think we can we can get in get a little bit higher and it not be so bad. Um, but yeah, there's like you say, David Luiz situation has got to be sorted out. I think I think David Luiz, you'd you'd be best to say, go on, make this the last season, and try and start bringing through these young guys. They've got to work out what they're doing with Sally, but you know, Rob Holding. Some some games I've thought he's been really solid. I'm not sure if his passing's quite good enough to fit in this Arsenal team. Yeah. Because I think the passing is, you know, they, they if they're going to play out from the back, you've got to have people that are competent playing out from the back. And obviously, last few games, we've had a couple of little wobbles <laughs> playing out from the back. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's such a big job, the squad situation. Gwendozy, what what are they going to do with Gwendozy? Do you keep him? Do you... No, no. no. I think he's an absolute <laughs> I, this is really player. funny because I think that, I actually think the listeners are going to think I've prepped you because it's so weird listening to how much your thoughts align with mine that I've been saying on the channel for so long about like Arteta, about the decisions, about what's gone against us. I, I throw also into the decisions that have gone against us, like the, the injuries to Thomas Partey this season. I feel that if Thomas Partey was fit all season, we would be, we'd be much higher than where we are now. And like, and Genduzzi, no, see you later. <laughs> just, yeah. It is funny, but to kind of like... The last point on Arteta is is there's a big question about the Europa League. And I for me, and I am I obviously love to be the most optimistic fan as much as possible and try and take a step back and look at the context of everything. But we should, it, it, without going too in titles, we should get past Slavia Prague. We then technically should get past one of Villarreal or Dinamo Zagreb, but then you're in a final where we probably would come up against Man United. And there's been rumours around a contract extension for Arteta. I feel that's slightly too early. But say if Arsenal managed to win the Europa League this season and you're in the Champions League next season, do you think he's then done enough to, to garner a, a new contract? I think if, if Mikel Arteta wins the Europa League this season, yeah, extend his contract. I think that's, you know, if he's won a, a, a you know a major trophy in his mm. first two seasons, that's, that is pretty amazing. It's the inconsistency. I think that's the thing. I mean, if you look at the second leg against Olympiacos the other day, I mean, I don't think I've seen us play. If that had been a good team, we would have been absolutely battered. Mm. Like, literally. And it was baffling because we just played the Spurs game. And, and played, played well. I mean, we should have beaten Spurs three or, you know, we should have, could have scored three or four against them, really. And um, I can't. They're just inconsistent. That's the problem. I think that's Arteta's two biggest things are he's got to somehow sort that squad out and he's got to work out the inconsistency because I don't, can't extend, I can't understand how they can go from that one extreme to another. It's it's crazy. But I do think there's games that we have played so well, you know, and apart from Man City, we've actually yeah. done really well against the big teams this season. And that's one of the things I think Arteta has changed. It's and we've lost a lot of points against teams that we should be beating. That that's probably where we've we've sat this season. Last question before I let you go um, does again come from one of our members, Owen Young. This is going to test maybe your European football knowledge a little bit. But who are your top targets for the summer window? Who do you want to see Arsenal bring oh. in this summer? 
I mean, I'd like a really, a really strong right back, um, a backup left back. Um, so I don't, re I don't know if there's like big names. Obviously, we all want big names joining Arsenal, but I don't really know. I think we just need to strengthen the squad and yeah. sort the squad out. It's like I can't see us spending seventy million. You know, on um, well, I can't say it'd be, it'd be more expensive. Grealish would be probably 90 to 100 million now because he's English and all the English players are massively overpriced. Yeah, um, I, I'm gonna be slightly boring. I'd love us to sign o Odegaard like properly. I think that's boring. I think that's spot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think that yeah. what I really love, I love seeing him and Smith Rowe in the same team because teams are going to basically sit really deep and they're gonna have you know, 10 men in the last third and they're going to put a wall up against us. There's no point having quick, pacey players because there's no room to run at people. So we need to have people that can unlock. And I think that you need to have those guys there. And um, yeah, I think that would be to get Odegaard, another right back, another left back. And we do need to work the midfield situation out because if, if they get rid of Guendouzi, we've got Party Shaka, I think El Nenny, if he's happy to sit in as a reserve player, will probably stay. Mm. Um, but the midfield Dreamer. is short. Oh, Ceballos, I think Ceballos is a wonderful technical footballer, but he's not right for the Premier League for me, and he's not right for Arsenal. We we need sturdy players that are going to take the team forward, and I think that was the thing with Partey. He is an unbelievable... I mean, he's more skillful than I even realised. He's unbelievable. The way he can intercept and pluck the ball up, get it under control and shift it forward quickly, it's amazing. And I, Shaka sometimes, you know, does... has. I know how consistent he is as far as he can play game after game after game. But I worry that he doesn't move the ball quick enough for me. Yeah. That's and I see a lot of people have a have a go at Shaka. I think he's a good player, but I he needs to sort of move it quicker. So ultimately, yeah, we need to strengthen the midfield, sign o Odegaard, right and a left back, and I think we'd be all right. Yeah, it's so, so easy. <laughs> We'd be fine. I mean, I'm probably still about five players, but yeah, I, it's because like, you know normally it's like who would be the big name that you could get, but mm. you know I'd take Odegaard. I think he is. I think he's a big name. That's yeah, cool. I think he is a big name. I think it's it's mad if from his point of view, yeah, Madrid is one of the biggest club in the world or one, or the biggest club in the world, but he's played like the amount of games he's played since he's been there is unreal. Like he's hardly literally played at all. And is he going to play if Zidane's still coach next season? No, I, and they don't even play over ten, so that's another issue. So yeah. It's, no. I think it makes the most sense for him to to look at Arsenal as a place he can go to. Um, and if we can pull that signing off, I think it'd be massive uh, for us going forwards. But I won't take up any more of your time because I know we've I've, I've been taking liberties uh, with you, but I really appreciate the time this afternoon, mate. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. I really appreciate it. All good, mate. I'm happy to talk. I'll talk about Arsenal for hours, so it's all good for me. But um, yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Really enjoyed it. No problem at all. Um, uh, Friction's link uh, to his Twitter is in the description, so make sure you go give him a follow and, and check out uh, his music. If you're not a drama-based convert yet, trust me, you will be once you've listened to some of his stuff. Um, and, of course, all of the Shogun and, and Elevate stuff as well. Is there some new stuff coming out this year? Can we expect some some new music? 
Yeah, I've got a new single coming out in April. So that's in about three weeks' time. Uh, A new track called Falling Down. And yeah, just regular music and just trying to get... Well, I've been in lockdown for a year doing nothing but making music. So I need to release it now. and I need to get back in some clubs and some festivals and get back to doing what I love. For sure. As I'm sure everyone else will agree to too. We'll see uh, everyone tomorrow. Uh, we're doing an interlull quiz because, I mean, what can you do in lockdown and during an international break? So we're going to try and break up the boredom uh, with a little bit of a funny quiz tomorrow evening and then back to the usual scheduling of the interviews and the reactions to the game. So make sure you tune in for that. If you've enjoyed the show, please drop a like on the video. Go give us a follow at the Guna Talk TV and, of course, Friction as well. There's link in the description. We'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. <laughs> It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates around, and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go, and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your Mc delivery. You in? At participating restaurants 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.